camera uh, rig action. So hello and uh, welcome to the uh, fourth installment of uh, the Cyberpunk Today podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Lucien Zell, uh, who's a musician, world traveler, and I would call you an international man of mystery. And coincidentally, uh, it's a Czech in America interviewing an American in Czech. So uh, I look forward to some interesting perspectives. So welcome to the show, Lucian. How are you doing today? I'm so well. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really, really an honor to speak with you. Yeah, no, it's it's good to reconnect. And, you know, we go a little way back. Uh, maybe I've looked back. It's actually 16 years. Would you believe that, Lucian? 16 years. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> we were so much younger then. We were so much younger then. We're older than that. Yeah. I was I so know, much I older know. then. Sorry, sorry. So much older then. Yeah, I know. But, you know, for listeners that um, don't, you know, know, I mean, we interview people that, that have something to say about uh, essentially the future right and um f as you um, our listeners have seen and as you might have seen we've interviewed uh Pavel, who's a hacker uh we have interviewed a friend of mine who's uh heavily involved in cryptocurrencies and and he now has basically like a phone company um and uh where were you lucian and you're a musician right and so um i i met lucian we, we met what, 16 years ago in Prague, quite randomly, right? Strolling through a garden and I was reading some book by a friend and that's basically how we struck up a conversation. Um, but uh, why don't you tell us, like, you know, you were born, I believe, on in the US West Coast, right? How did you end up in Prague? Well, you know, when, uh, I, I like what Nietzsche said. He, he, he said that when I search for another word for music, the only word I find is Venice. And I like to adapt that and say, <laughs> when I search for another word for mystery, the only word I find is Prague. So I feel like, you know, in my heart is a kind of quest for mystery. And there really can't be too much mystery in a country that you've grown up in and you've lived in and you've kind of felt the, uh, the power of the banality of everyday life, you know, is so overwhelming. And so I was just definitely in a quest for mystery. And so, you know, my initial trip to Europe took place um, in 1992. Uh, sorry, 1993 I left. 1993 I left and arrived in London in the winter. And, uh, you know, William Faulkner has this beautiful line in a, in a novel of his called Wild Palms. And he says that there's a moment when you lose your virginity to the cold. It's the kind of first time you've ever Ooh. been so cold in your life that you, you know, you're basically just, you know, penetrated by cold in a way that you never have been. And I remember standing on a London street corner in, in December uh, and feeling that wind, you know, just basically, uh, you know, permeate my soul. And uh, I'd never been that cold uh, ever. And uh, yeah, but then after that, I ended up in Ireland and um, on the West Coast of Ireland in, in, in 93, I understood that I was uh, not taking a vacation from my life. 
that this was my life, that I didn't want to go back to America and have some uh, continued story there. This was not just an intermission. I, I really wanted to to live in Europe. So I traveled for about four years uh, with a backpack, went all around uh, Europe and ended up in Israel and Egypt and then was just drawn back to Prague because I got an offer to publish my first collection of poetry there. And that's where I ended up in 1998, you know, living in Prague. And I've lived in Prague ever since. You've probably lived there longer than I have at this point. Um, it's 22 years, so that is longer than me. So how is it to be an American in Prague? You know? Well, I mean, my my Prague, because I've understood that, you know, we all have our own Prague's, those of us who live here. Um, and I guess that's a parallel phenomenon in many cities. Um, you know, you have your own New York, uh, you have your own uh, Paris. But uh, yeah, my Prague is fascinating. Like I said, uh, starting off, you know, um, it really is a city of mystery for me. And I like the fact that I'm not, completely unlost here you know i'm never completely unlost i mean for one thing i don't speak the language so uh that is always seen as a disadvantage by most people but i've come to understand that there are when it comes to traveling two types of people there are fish and there are frogs so the fish have to be in the water of their own language. If they're not, they're just, they're gasping for air on the shore. And frogs like me, we can jump into the water of our language and we're cool, but we can also be on the land, you know, and we're not gonna be struggling and, and anxious. We're totally fine also on the land. Uh, of course, you know, like real frogs, we need both, you know, we need to have a bit of both, but we're more adaptable to, to being lost. And I like being lost in the, in the sense that it gives me a feeling of adventure, you know, uh, maybe, a, you know, to quote Tolkien, not all those who wander are lost. So maybe it's not so much being lost as it just is being found in a state of wandering. Yeah, that's wonderfully said, right? And uh, we basically drifted on and off with knowing each other over the years. Like, you know, we, yes. we would drop off of each other's radars but it will always so happen that we would reattach, right? On its own, without any any effort, right? And like last time we reconnected after maybe six or seven years, maybe 10 years, was just walking by to a farmer's market in Prague, right? Absolutely yeah. random. And I I was walking and I hear someone singing, right? I hear someone just singing on the other pavement right across the street, right? And I look, I look at the guy and he, you know, he's got dreadlocks and he's singing and he's like, oh my God, that, that just like, I know that guy that has to be Lucian. Right. And I just, you know, yell out, it's you. Like it's, it's just so random after 10 years in the right part of Prague at the right time, going to the farmer's market. Right. That's right. That's right. And it was actually my voice, I guess, echoing down the road as I was, uh, just rehearsing some songs that I was preparing for an upcoming concert. So. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, this is probably not the only time that this kind of stuff happens, right? You, you just much more, I guess, much more open than other people to happenstance and sort of these twists of fate or however you want to put it. 
And so, you know, what, what would you say to the people that the, to the straight lace, to the sort of like people who have a very regimented life, you know, who know what's going to be happening? <laughs> you see what I mean? Well, I mean, we get we get inundated with this message to follow our dreams, you know, and we get inundated with it to such a degree that I actually wrote a line, you know, don't follow your dreams unless you're prepared to get lost. Mm. You know, because because ultimately I understand those straight laced people because um, there's a part of me that's also straight laced that wants uh, things to be secure and. You know, I want to know where I'm going to be sleeping and I want to know, you know, how I'm going to be, you know, keeping that roof over my head, you know, in the long term and and all these kind of existential uh, worries and fears. And at the same moment, I guess I've tasted enough of the wisdom of insecurity, uh, something that perhaps as a collective, you know, Western culture, uh, we are now reeling from, you know, we're reeling in a period of intense insecurity uh, and question, right? question mark. Right? So, so I think yeah. it's, it's also kind of powerful. I mean, it reminds me of the moment that I was in Italy in Assisi. Uh, I believe it was uh, 1997 and I was there during the earthquake. And it was the first time that I had recognized the earth as a living being you know, in a very palpable manner because the earth literally, this this staid, quiet horse of earth suddenly started galloping. And I was riding this galloping earth of, of the earthquake. And I understood, my God, you know, this, this thing that we call solid ground, you can't always rely on it. So I think that helps, you know, when you know that uh, even the most straight-laced people um, – you know, I was reading a, a, an article recently in The Guardian about, uh, you know, a financial uh, advisor type person, you know, just 29 who got cancer. And and uh, he wrote quite eloquently about, you know, the fact that he wasn't going to live through lockdown because uh, that's the fact that they'd given up on him, medically speaking, and, and uh, the cancer had had reached such a state of, of being serious that he was going to die. and. Uh, you know, I think that can happen, and that can happen even even to the most straight laced financial advisors. Uh, we all are facing um, uncertainties, and I guess as a poet, I I, I lean towards the edges because I know that's where the views are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, like it just reminds me of you know Hunter S. Thompson, right? And, and this quote from his, like, well, you know uh what was it uh drugs and alcohol are road to hell but uh, at least it's the scenic route right <laughs> it's, it's like <laughs> you know the excess has a place in life the edges as you call it right yes yes and and what's really interesting is that you know we've lived through you and i adulthood through some of the most peaceful times in history right in human history and everyone's like, oh, it's always going to be this way, right? We're just going to like, you know, buy houses, get mortgages and save for retirement. But boom, oops, right? And it's it's just like nature has, has a really interesting way of reminding us about our like global um, memento mori, in other words, our mortality. Mm. Right? All of us, first time yes. in living history, uh, yes. 
everyone, all 7 billion people have been reminded. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, you might have the internet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, these little viruses, they can still get you. What's what's your perspective? Like, you know, just just probably some of the mo one of the most terrifying years in, in a long, long time. But, you know, it's not all bad. Like, you know, we respect the people that have suffered and we respect the people that have died. But uh, yes. what's your what's your take on the um, on the sort of reflection? Well, reflection I want to share with you a reflection. I mean, first of all, I definitely want to bring in William Blake because he's such a genius. And uh, he, he said that the road of excess leads to the palace of wisdom. And uh, so I, I liked what you said uh, about the scenic route. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, we, we are in a collective state of detour. You know, we, we are doesn't matter who you are and how much you'd planned uh, well, you know, in your own private five-year plan. I don't think, you know, hardly anybody's five-year plan uh, included this, you know, included this, this situation that we're facing now uh, with the virus. But uh, I've tried personally, you know, to, to go inwards. And uh, that's also a very important uh, concept that I would like to share tonight that, that uh, there's a there's a concept from uh, Theodore Rutka, a wonderful poet uh, from Washington State, and and he has a, a poem in which he describes the the idea that you should leap before you look. And, <laughs> the other and, way around. Yeah, the other way around. And so I was thinking about that and talking about it with a friend uh, today, and and I realized, you know, y you've you've got to leap before you look, but you can do it intelligently. You know, you can have an intelligent leap before you look. Um, and also you can leap inside. You know, the leap is not just an outer leap in terms of, let's say, I don't know, quitting your job and moving to China. It doesn't have to be an, an outer leap. It can be an inner leap. It can be a leap into your into your secret, you know, places. Um, and so I'd like to share with you because you asked me about reflection and and. I have a piece that I wrote um, right at the beginning of, of the quarantine uh, in Prague, and it's called Finding. Finding your road is not enough. Find lostness. Lostness is a path to the new. Living in the moment is not enough. Living in the moment is like living in the wave, denying both the sea and the shore. Speaking from your heart is not enough. Speak from your liver, your back, your feet. Each part of you should have its voice. Following your dreams is not enough. Follow your realities. Being yourself is not enough. Be everyone, be me as I am you. Getting back to nature is not enough. Nature is in front of us too and within. You are nature. Nature without you is incomplete. Having no fears is not enough. Fears are gifts for those who open them. In opening them, they open you. Opening your mind and heart are not enough. Open your soul. Open your idea of open, which is another enclosure. Seizing the day is not enough. Seize the night and its stars. Having faith, sunrises is not enough. Have doubts. Doubts are sunsets, bringing nights 
and stars. Being interesting is not enough. Be boring. Be bored. As stones are boring and bored. The earth, while big after all, is a stone. And just look how interesting it's become. Being different is not enough. Be the same as the wind and the sky. Finding your strength is not enough. Find weakness. Weakness also protects you. Remember what the mighty have done. Finding your treasure is not enough. Find poverty. In poverty is poetry. Mining poverty for poetry is far richer ore than mining richness. Finding your voice is not enough. Find your silence as I, after these words, find mine. That's, that's, that's amazing, yeah. Let's just let that sit, right? Thank you. Thank you so much. so strong for oh so long I don't belong here I don't belong we both have been wrong for oh so long you don't belong here you don't belong Freedom and release You make me miss a
it, uh, it's it's just such an interesting time, right? When everyone's yes. running around like headless chicken with the hair on fire. Yeah. I've never been calmer. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Are you a junkie? It's, it's a junkie a... for uncertainty or a junkie for uh, for paradoxical Somewhat, yeah. restlessness? Somewhat, yeah. Because yeah, because you know, I I just. I guess I'm like a knowledge person, right? Or like, so ephemeral knowledge, ephemeral knowledge, knowledge that changes all the time. And my livelihood's based on this kind of stuff. Yeah. So my life has always been fastly, rapidly changing information, right? Yeah. And now all, all the certainties have been yanked away from people. I mean, to you know, people that are used to certainties, that's quite terrifying. Yes. Uh, you know, going outside, not safe. Our governments not able to protect us not safe uh everyone and anyone you meet could potentially get you the plague not safe right but again when you just reverse it and it's like okay you know for the vast majority of human history this was normal you know yeah 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 for all our predecessors all our ancestors as far back as like the neanderthal man or the monkey this was the everyday terrifying normal right everything's unsafe everything can kill you and likely will all day long every day right and yet they managed <laughs> you, you see what i mean yet yes. they managed yes it, it reminds me that this amazing story of the bering strait right it's the strait between alaska and um uh russia right it's not that wide it's like 30 miles right and about 16,000 years ago, it was frozen over or thereabouts. So, you know, you know, the geologists out there, please correct me. It was tens of thousands of years. It basically froze over and people just walked over from Russia. And that's how the American continent was settled. Right. People just walked over. But imagine the wintering over when you wintered over during an ice age in North yeah. Alaska. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it was multiple winters. So, in other words, if you wanted to go on, you had babies there. So, so, so I mean, Im imagine you would build, like, an igloo. You would hunt for deer or whatever the hell you could eat. And you would have yeah. babies. And you would have to tend for babies with Stone Age technology. And yet, our ancestors managed. Right? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's stuff like this. I'm like, okay, well, okay, if they managed and... Uh, we'll manage, <laughs> you know, like, you know, we have gasoline engines and penicillin and the internet, like, and this disease is not particularly deadly, right? 99.8% of people survive, right? In the medieval ages, the big plague of, uh, what was it, 1438, the big, the Black Death? Yeah. There were whole villages that were killed, whole villages emptied of people. One third of the population died, one third, right? Which is an unthinkable number. Right. So many people died. It would just pile up in the streets, dead. Right. And, and this is nothing compared to that. Like I, I, and so I like to state this as like a rehearsal. This is just a dress rehearsal for something that could be even worse. Right. And so, you know, and that makes me quite calm, actually. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's just like, uh, it's a time of such interesting change such yes. interesting change as lenin said and this is you know i'm clearly i hate communism but there's some things that lenin said that are just pure genius that there's whole decades when nothing happens and then 
whole weeks when decades happen. And we're living through weeks and months when decades happen in one month. Uh, yes. What's some of the yes. most interesting changes that you see, personal-wise, society-wise? What do you see, Lucian, as a poet and as a musician? Well, I mean, I think uh, I wanted to echo first what you said uh, brilliantly, quoting quoting Lenin. I mean, I much prefer the other Lenin, uh, John Lennon. But, um, you know, uh, I, I wanted to say a quote from... Uh, Pablo Neruda, who said, how many weeks are in a day and how many years are in a month? So that's also, you know, uh, an interplay of um, time, which which I think we all experience. I mean, I have a pet phrase, which I call like a train station of moment. And that just it means that, you know, there's a lot of moments just kind of lackadaisical, um, I guess I'd say boring Um and, you know, it's basically like you're just walking down the street of moment. Not that much can change. But then there are train stations of moment when actually the choice that you're making at that train station of moment is very crucial. You know, which train do you step on is going to determine, uh, you know, months, maybe years uh, of your life and uh, could even influence generations, you know. Um, and so those train stations a moment, um, you know, I don't think they're necessarily predictable, you know, and sometimes they can't even be recognized except in retrospect, you know, when you go back in your mind and you, you reflect and you understand, wow, I met that guy at the party and he's the one who mentioned the party the next day I was there. I met my wife, my wife moved me to, to a different state or a different country and, you know, you, you, you reel back and you realize, wow, if you hadn't made the choice to, to let's say, go to that first party, none of that uh, that followed could have happened. So um, collectively speaking, yes, I think we are in a train station of moment, um, you know, and it's very powerful because um, it is collective. And I think that that's also something that, in a sense, reassures me. Uh, I've had existentially... Uh, precarious moments um, that were very personal, you know, uh, days slash weeks slash months when I didn't know, um, you know, how I was going to survive. But it's fascinating or, or, or peculiar and peculiarly fascinating to understand that, no, this is not a private um, train station a moment, personal train station. This is a collective train station a moment. This is a, this is a time when we're all you know, as you mentioned, 7 billion of us, almost 8 billion, uh, really facing a lot of existential threat, crisis, uncertainty. Um, I like that you said you feel calm because I've also felt that, although I think it's also been a, a matter of uh, feeling like at times that I'm on this wave of, let's say, a kind of acceptance and then the wave is subsumed in a larger wave of fear or, or terror. And, you know, then that wave is also subsumed in a tide um, of, you know, either peace or uh, questioning. And, uh, you know, so I, I can admit that I'm not stable at this moment. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the one point I can definitely acknowledge um, as a poet. Um, also, I think, you know, poets are the kind of antenna of the race. We kind of try to extend ourselves to be this antenna and to, to receive the signals of the coming, you know, 
uh, and present life. Um, so to answer your question, you know, in a less poetic manner, um, yeah, there's moments when I'm quite freaked out about the whole thing. Uh, I also think it's a time when it's really, really hard to know uh, where the truth lies, which is a kind of nice paradoxical yeah. way of saying unknowable, it. Right? It could yeah. be unknowable, right? Yeah. What if not just that you don't know where the truth lies, but that it's unknowable, which is even <laughs> more scary. <laughs> <laughs> what if, right? What if, as Rudyard Kipling said, if, what if? Yes. 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 So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that we're in it together. I mean, it's, um, I, I think that that's maybe uh, something to treasure, you know, the fact that we have a collective train station a moment and we all are, you know, on a trajectory that we don't know how it's going to end. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, and of course, you know, through that, we have these ripples of other incidences, like the things that have happened in America recently with police brutality, um, uh, which also I think is in some way, of course, um, a very new thing and in some ways a very old thing and just something that we've buried and we've, we haven't dealt with. And I think that's, that's also something about, you know, echoing back to what we both said about time, you quoting Lenin and, and me quoting Neruda. I mean, time is not what it seems. And I'd like to bring in a quote from, from Faulkner who said that the past isn't finished. It's not even past. You know, I think that it's people think about predicting the future. Well, it's hard to predict the past, you know, and that might sound like it's just an offhanded poetic remark. But if you really think about it, we don't we don't really understand the past. A lot of it or agree on it or even agree on it right? or agree on it. And and it's still like I think that the future changes the past because it brings new dimensions to life. And to take that out of the abstract, let's again uh, go to a party where you happen to, uh, let's say, have a small child, a five-year-old child, and you meet somebody at the party who turns out to be uh, offering their services as a, a babysitter. And you and your wife, you know, you like this person, you, you feel that they're very nice. They're also, he's a friend of your friends. You trust him and you invite him into your life and he ends up being your child's uh, babysitter for the next 10 years. So then, you know, at, when your child is 15, you, you're thinking back to that party and you're saying, wow, well, so lucky that we met that guy who, who ended up being such a great babysitter for you. And then you cut to 10 years down the road when your child has uh, attempted to commit suicide and is in a psych ward and admits to you that, uh, no. That, that that guy who you thought was the best uh, babysitter in the world molested your child. And suddenly you go back in your mind to that party and that was not a great night when you met this wonderful person. It was a tragic night when you, 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 know, you brought one of the darkest forces you could have ever invited into your life, um, into your family. So that's just an example. It's of course hypothetical, of course, unfortunately such tragedies do happen but it was just a an illustration of that fact that the future is constantly altering the past that's why it's very hard to predict the past yeah no it's it's, it's fascinating 
And this is why I like talking to you, Lucien, right? It's because um, there's only people that seemingly are taken out of the like production processes, I call it, or the assembly line, right? Most of us are on the assembly line. You have the luxury that you're not, right? You have liberated yourself by your own actions, by your own thought and creativity. You, you literally not change to the assembly line and you're not dependent on your master's um you know favor right <laughs> you don't have a master <laughs> as i always like to tell this joke like it's a bad one but like what's the difference between a modern office worker and uh, roman slaves right in ancient rome what's the main difference in the power structure in the power dynamic well, you know, the Roman slaves at least didn't have to flatter their masters, right? <laughs> it was clear they were slaves and, you know, it was just like, didn't have to flatter anybody. So it's, it's just like, you know, I, I feel the future of just being tremendous, tremendous liberation for a lot of people. Liberation from being chained to their de desks in the offices, liberating from... Uh, essentially neglecting their own children because they feel they have to be somewhere at work, you know, at the cost of just child neglect, uh, children being imprisoned in institutions called schools, right? Which are basically warehousing of children, prisons, child prisons. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, in, in the Czech Republic on the States, if you murder someone, you get like 10 years, right? Well, we sentence all our children basically for murder, right? And they get 10 to 15 years of hard labor. Right, essentially, and irrespective of what data six, you enter the institution, and you won't be out till you're eighteen, um, and you don't really learn much. I always ask, I always ask the most educated people, you know, people with PhDs, masters degrees, fancy degrees. I'm like, tell me, what have you learned in eight years in school, like elementary and middle middle school, let's say? <laughs> no, eight years, it's a long time, and like, it's nothing. It's literally nothing like, you know, learn, count and write. You can read, write and count. You can learn that in about half a year. You know, what, what do kids do that for eight and a half years? Like, so that's going away. Uh, a friend of mine, I'll tell this hilarious story. He's in senior year college. So in America, senior year is the fourth year of college, right? Mm -hmm. At some, you know, fancy university. And it's like 70 grand a year, right? For him to essentially get late, get high and drink, right? $70,000, right? It's, it's an unbelievable amount of money. And, you know, the plague put an end to that, right? The school told him, well, now in September, you're not actually going back to school, but you still have to pay. And you watch some crappy Zoom lectures. He's like, no way. Screw you. No, no way. I'm not doing that. And just went and get a job and dropped out. And, you know, his dad has the money to pay it, but even his dad was accepting. He's like, yeah, well, I'm not paying that. I'll just go get a job. So, so you see old bad habits have been broken in a matter of months. It's, it's mm. amazing. It's amazing. I think old rigid societal structures that have been oppressing, imprisoning, you know, harassing people for decades, in some cases, you know, centuries, are gone in a matter of months. It's unbelievable. It's so encouraging. Freedom to flourish. I, I see a great flourishing of freedom coming. Um, okay. Or 
you know, another friend of mine who's like, you know, they're, they're very good lefties, you know, institutional lefties and state is good and government education is good and all that. Fair enough. Right. But it was until they, they, their kid was sent home and just like stay home and just watch these crappy Zoom videos all day long and call that education. They're like, nah, you know, I, I, I'm not doing that to my child. Just pulled the kid out of school and then moved somewhere into the countryside and they're setting up their own alternative educational institution. You know, mm. they just get five other kids and teach them themselves. It's amazing. Yes. And yes. these are like, you know, dedicated Bernie types, you know, very left-wing people who, who against school choice, who against all this like right-wing sort of like talking points. But yet, you know, it's 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 so exciting in terms of the willingness and ability to people to change when they really have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what do you think about the word responsibility? Because uh, you mentioned freedom. And uh, I love Viktor Frankl, and he said that, you know, just as there's a Statue of Liberty on the East Coast, there needs to be a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. <laughs> I love it. What would that look like? <laughs> what would I wonder. Look like? <laughs> I wonder. I wonder what she would look like. So what do you think? What do you think? I mean, um, let me, let me before you answer that, um, uh, throw in the idea that, you know, responsibility doesn't have to be the heavy weighted uh, word that we've made it. It, it, it actually hides a secret um, spring inside it, which is that, you know, it's response ability. It's our ability to respond. You know, it, it's not necessarily just the heaviness that we've uh, granted it, uh, that it also has uh, a lively and flourishing uh, cutting edge element to itself. It's a very good question, right? Uh... What about responsibility? Yeah, I agree with the author you quoted, right? What was his name again? Uh, Viktor Frankl, who's his, his best Victor known Frankl. for Man's Search for Meaning, his marvelous book, uh, uh, which he wrote after getting out of the concentration camp, Auschwitz. So, Yeah, yeah. It's true. Like, it's, I would argue those are the, the two sides of the same coin, right? Freedom and responsibility, right? It's by taking on more responsibility, you gain more freedom, right? Mm -hmm. The two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Because if you just have complete freedom, that's not enhanced by responsibility, then it will go haywire very quickly. <laughs> you know, you will end up dead, probably, <laughs> very quickly, out of yes. your own stupid actions. You will literally end up dead at, at some Burning Man after party or like skydiving in the middle of the Pacific or God knows what, like something phenomenally free, but phenomenally stupid. Yeah. Right? And you see yeah. a lot of that. You see a lot of that in our day and age. And I think it's because of social media, right? We've elevated freedom without responsibility as the highest echelon of achievement. Hmm. I think was well, just, you know, my take on it. So what but, do you mean? Uh, what do you mean by responsibility? Then? What is it for you? Ah, uh, I, you know, I, I go back to the classics, right? I mean, it, it's like responsibility. It's to me, responsibility is the Greeks, right? The 300 Greeks that went to the certain death to face off an invader to save the entire Greek nation, right? King Leonidas, right? He knew up front when they were marching off that they're all going to die, right? And they took it as the sacred duty to, to protect everybody, not just in Sparta, but... Uh, you know, the other Greek city-states, 
all of them. And they knew that the best that death can do is just to slow down the Persian army, just slow them down by a few days to allow the Greeks to regroup and organize, right? They knew that. Imagine, right? Just, just imagine going in, you know. It's unbelievable, right? And because of the heroism, to this day, we remember the Battle of Thermopylae. To this day, it's 2,500 years later, through just song and story and, uh, you know, Herodotus' histories. There's a reason why we remember it, right? And there's a reason why 2,500 years from now, I don't think a single tweet will be remembered, right? Because it's just like utterly inconsequential. And so I, th I think our day and age is very light on the responsibility, responsibility, you know, the ability to respond and respond, respond appropriately. Um, and I've, but you know, I see green shoots here and there. I see yeah. willingness and ability of people to take care of their own actions, of their own thoughts and their own consequences for their thoughts and actions, right? Resisting yeah. authoritarianism in all its shapes and sizes. That's not just, you know, some random right-wing fascist ramblings of um, President Trump. That's uh, any and all oppression, be it in the school, at work, by the state, by a local sandbox bully. You know, it's everywhere, right? And this crisis, I think, at least to me, reveals a lot of the shaky foundations of our different institutions sand castles you know castles built out of sand and it's so obvious it is so obvious it's becoming so obvious that you don't need a phd in sociology or any any, any advanced education whatsoever um, to really start thinking for yourself and draw your own conclusions against the receptive against the received wisdom against what's socially acceptable so I, I just feel yeah flourishing of responsibility which leads to flourishing of freedom and liberty those are two very loaded words, right? Freedom and liberty. No, they no are. more so than no more so than in the United States. Freedom and liberty. Um, this country being founded on those two principles, but they mean very different things to different people. What do they mean to you, Lucian? Freedom and liberty. Well, I mean, to speak of America, I, I actually would would jump first into Leonard Cohen's brilliant uh, summation. Um, it's coming to America first. Uh, the cradle of the best and of the worst. It's here we've got the range and the machinery for change, and it's here we've got the spiritual thirst. So I particularly would key in on those that uh, that line, uh, the cradle of the best and of the worst. I, I do feel, you know, in some ways, even though I've lived more than half my life in Europe, I still consider myself an American poet. And... Uh, in some sense, I'm kind of proud of the experiment that America is, and I'm kind of proud that I grew up there. Um, I also am proud that I had the courage, perhaps audacity, um, to to leave, you know, and to come to Europe and uh, to forge, uh, here to paraphrase James Joyce, to forge in the smithy of my soul the uncreated conscience of my race. Um, you know, I'm glad I came out of that maelstrom of America. And uh, I also think, you know, when we go back to the, the cradle of the best and of the worst, I mean, when I think of artists that I really, truly admire, um, 
I mean, many of them are Americans, you know, uh, whether that's Jackson why Pollock. That? Why is yeah. that? Uh, yeah. What is it about I, that intensity? Well, I think part of it is that um, America is a very selfish uh, country. You know, when you compare it to Europe um, and European countries in general, um, no one is allowed in a European country to be quite that selfish, to be that self-centered. You're just not really permitted it. The culture doesn't permit it. Um, but that's how you get a Jimi Hendrix. Uh, that's how you get a Jim Morrison. <laughs> that's how yeah. you get... Um, somebody who is so wildly self-centered um even kurt cobain uh to just and trump hey, yeah even that class. even that guy yeah that's another that but that, that's going more towards the cradle of the worst but um you know i guess it's yeah i mean it's it's a kind of audacity and craziness and you know ability to be so egotistical and to do it in an environment where there's enough other people doing it that you're you're not completely embarrassed you know and uh you know you can yeah. you can you can uh i mean to take uh, a very uh let's say whimsical etymology you know bare assed you're embarrassed you know you literally can be bare assed in america in a way that you can never be bare assed anywhere else um and uh you can't you, you know it's not only the freedom to be an asshole it's the it's the freedom to be a whole ass um and that kind of freedom um which i think by coming to europe i've tried to temper i've tried <laughs> temper, to, temper. to balance to balance it you know because uh i grew up in the most egotistical nation on earth and i came to europe to especially to czech republic to gain a bit of humility you know, I think Czechs, uh, for all their many flaws, are probably some of the most humble people on earth. I really believe that. I think there's there's a uh, a marvelous feeling of humility. I mean, I even met Václav Havel, and you know that that he was the the president, and he he was a humble, uh, in some sense, very uh, self deprecating person, and that. He was, that, but I mean, he was yeah. an aristocrat intellectual, right? He was born essentially into, he was a prince. He was born into yes. a princely family. Yes. His grandfather built the Lucerna Palace and owned movie studios. And President Havel was born into unimaginable wealth. But yeah. unlike others, he took good use of it, right? And then the yes. communists stripped him of all that wealth. And no matter, right? He didn't matter. Just read his books, did his place. And did not emigrate and continued fighting the regime, even though it imprisoned him and destroyed his health and kept yeah. fighting. It's unbelievable. And then when he got out, he refused to take retribution on them, which is so Jesus-like. It's unbelievable. Yes. Um, an absolute, you know, moral giant, like an incredible guy. Incredible. Just astounding. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And he's an example. And he, and of course, he's a very like bold and bright example. But I don't think he's that eccentric to the essential Czech uh, humility core. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I myself did the other journey the other way around. Right. So some of that humility just rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, no, I want some of that. What do you call it? A full asshole? <laughs> 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 just like, 
<laughs> you know, I like that here in the States. <laughs> yes. No, yes. No boundaries, no boundaries whatsoever on, on like any level. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fascinating. So what, what do you think is coming? And then let's wrap it up. Then I want to hear about your upcoming video and, uh, and your band. So what do I think is coming? Now, what do you, what do you mean? Be a little more specific. Any way you want. Answer that any way you want. What wow. do you think is coming? <laughs> what do I think is coming? I mean, okay, I'll be bold here. You know, why not? Um, I think the beginning of the world is coming soon. What kind of a world? Well, I mean, it's, it's going to be definitely uh, different but I think it's going to be better. I actually, I, I actually have this crazy optimism. Um, but I mean, part of my optimism is also founded in some very, uh, I would say, grounded experiences. You know, uh, July 13th of this year, I held my baby son, Jordan. And I looked in Jordan's eyes. And there I was in the hospital. And I was singing to my, to my son. There in this emergency, you know, room of the hospital where the cesarean had been performed, I was singing out loud to my son. Um, and I was singing beyond the beeps and, you know, um, mechanical devices that were around him buzzing. I sang, and that's exactly what I feel the future is going to do to us. It's going to sing. Something is going to sing beyond the beeping and the buzzing. And I was there to sing for my son and I could feel the way my singing um, was, first of all, startling the nurses and doctors, <laughs> but in a quite yeah, pleasant they way, they were, them out. It was they were smiling, they were laughing. They, they asked my, my lady, uh, is he a singer? They, and she said, yes. And, and they kind of laughed and giggled about it. And for my son, I just felt like, you know, there I am, I'm standing and singing to my son. And, uh, you know, I am unusual. You know, I've grown into this 2020, 2020 vision human being father who has written like deeply into my core um, the idea that for my child, you know, he's always going to be um, ahead or to the side, never beneath or behind. I don't ever want my child to have that feeling that they are beneath or behind me uh, just because mm -hmm. I'm daddy, you know, which is the kind of crap that I faced. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that about school being this uh, prison sentence. Um, I felt it like that. Um, and I also felt there was a kind of underlying prison sentence, which was that, you know, we are supposed to respect the guards who happen to be our parents. And if you talk back to them, and you say, why do I have to do it like that? Because I said so. I am never, ever going to say that to my child. Not ever. Mm -hmm. and I don't. I won't even come within a million miles of saying that to my child because I'm going to be in a state of listening to my child and wanting to know where they want to go and wanting to know where they're going to show me uh, a new life and a new way. So that's on a very private, okay, I'll admit it, microcosmic right, micro uh, level, but I think that that microcosmic uh, action that I'm making uh, for my son is being made by other people like you with your kids, Pavel, and 
and it's being made by other parents. And I think it's going to start to to ripple and there's going to be a collective experience. And and who knows how much stronger and bolder and more dreamy our children are going to be when they're singing to their children, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years down the road in their hospital rooms. Our guest tonight has been Lucian Zale, a singer, songwriter, a musician, and an all-around good friend of mine. Thank you, Lucian, for your thoughts and for being with us tonight. And we very much look forward to welcoming you to the podcast again. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I would hope that you can play one or two of my songs during the podcast. Um, if that becomes a possibility to edit it, edit that in uh, and give yeah, your absolutely. listeners. Great. Great, great. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll send Thank that you. over to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.